A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Pat Cummins. I'm Josh Hazelwood. I'm Elizabeth Kowaja. I'm Mitch Marsh. I'm Darren Lehman. I'm Mitch Stark, and you're listening to The Unplayable Podcast. This is the Unplayable Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to preview the third test in Cape Town. But we start with the enormous news that Proteus baseman Kajiso Rabada has been cleared to play the remainder of the test series after his two-test suspension was overturned on Tuesday. Here to discuss that is gunncricket.com.au reporter Callum Kononyuk. Callum, firstly, welcome. Thank you, Sam. And secondly, tell us what happened. Can I just start by asking, where's the doc? That's a very good question. The doc is ill. The doc has decided uh, to rest up. He was offered to come on to this podcast, this episode, but he decided, you know what, he's going to rest up. He wants to finish the series strong. He doesn't want to infect us, which I think is honourable of him, absolutely. And so he's going to miss, sit this one out. He might come in a little bit later. Okay. Get but well soon, doc. Get well soon, doc. Um, Thoughts and prayers are with you, doc. Absolutely. Uh, back to Rabada. Tell us what happened. He's off. He's going to play in Cape Town in the third test. KG Rabada, it's been the gift that keeps on giving over the past couple of weeks. And today, the big news, we, wasn't, we weren't too sure when it was going to drop. We had 48 hours since that marathon hearing yesterday. And then we got to Australian training this morning and it landed just as we arrived at the ground. Um, and I can safely say I was shocked by it. You were shocked. Were you shocked? I was stunned and shocked. Shocked and stunned. Yes. Uh, I think uh, a lot of people were. Normally these things, the way it's gone through this whole sort of saga, it's almost been right at the end of every time allocation. You know, if they had 48 hours, they'd do it, you know, 46th hour or something like that. But this one knocked it over pretty quickly. And that's probably to do with the fact that they were in there for six hours yesterday, nutting it all out. So I'm not too sure if they would have had much more to uh, to mull over, but... Yeah, so essentially what's happened is they've gone in there yesterday and the Proteus camp, they had uh, Faf in there, KG in there, team manager, the doc, their doc, not our doc, in there, as well as their legal representatives. And they've essentially convinced the judicial commissioner that what happened on day one between Rabada and Steve Smith was accidental contact, um, initially charged with what they call a deliberate and inappropriate contact. Physical contact, yeah. Physical contact. And they've essentially said, he didn't mean it. He didn't mean it. He was just going off to celebrate with his teammates. And what has then happened is the Judicial Commission said, righto, I'll buy that, um, but I'm going to stick you with conduct that is contrary to the spirit of cricket. Yeah. Or spirit of the game. Yeah. Or whatever they want to call it. Yes. So he hasn't got the three demerit points that he initially got that took him over that eight-point threshold for the two-test ban. He's instead got one point, which in addition to that Warner incident, which happened mm-hmm. on day three, he's now at seven. So he's free to play, but again, he's on a, a very short leash. He is now the judicial commissioner was Mike Heron QC from New Zealand. And here's what he said in the ICC statement that was released earlier this morning. The key issue is whether Mr. Rabada made inappropriate and deliberate physical contact with Mr. Smith. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, this is Heron speaking. Yep. I'm not comfortably satisfied 
that Mr. Abada intended to make contact and I therefore find him not guilty of the charge under 2.2.7 of the IC Code of Conduct, which is making deliberate and intentional physical contact. I am entitled, I am entitled, this is again Heron speaking, however, to consider whether the conduct involved constitutes a lower level offence. I consider the conduct was inappropriate, lacked respect for his fellow player and involved non-deliberate and minor contact. The actions contravened the principle that a dismissed batsman should be left alone. I consider a penalty of the imposition of a fine of 25% of the applicable match fee to be the appropriate penalty for the breach of Article 2.11. As a consequence, one demerit point accrues. Mr. Abada will be well aware of the consequences of any further breaches of the code. So basically what you said, Callum, Rabada was deemed not to make deliberate contact. However, it was inappropriate. It was disrespectful to Steve Smith and they've pinged him with a different charge because making physical contact is automatically level two and there is no level one charge for that particular offence. So he gets a different charge, level one offence, 25% of his match fee, one demerit point to his record. Callum, we heard from the team doctor, Dr. Mohammed Musaji, later today on Tuesday, and he said that uh, they're not happy with the way the code of conduct works. And FAFs also spoke of this after the fourth day of the second test. Let me get that right. The fourth day of the second test. And they said that the, the code of conduct has been unfor- unfairly forced upon them and mainly with the inconsistency of the interpretation of the code of conduct. And that's what it comes down to. Jeff Crow thought that what Rabada did was deliberate and inappropriate. So I hit him with a level two charge and gave him three demerit points and had him suspended. However... Mark Heron doesn't think that. He thinks, uh, after being persuaded, no doubt by the legal team of, of South Africa and Rabada, that it wasn't deliberate, it was inappropriate, but there was no malice in it, and he charged him with something different. So that's where the grey area, I guess, with the Code of Conduct lies. Well, that's where we spoke about on the, the last edition of the podcast, is that the trouble they found themselves in is that they couldn't really give him a light penalty because they gave him the lightest penalty they could under that charge. Yep in terms of it falling under a level two as opposed to a level one. So they had to give him three demerit points. Jeff Crow, given he thought that's what it fell under, fell under the contact charge, he said, all right, I'm going to give you three because that's as little as I can give you, took him over and he was essentially banned for a, a number of incidents as opposed to that one incident. And that was the almost the flaw in the code of conduct we spoke about last week and it seems to be the issue that the Proteas have with it as well and I'm happy to put my hand up and say I didn't even know that the Judicial Commissioner could then go in and give him a totally different charge. Yeah, uh, We more or less thought that it would have to be a case of the Proteas getting off entirely or copying it on the chin. Um, but here we are, got a totally different charge and um, he's free to play. So I guess the Proteas are happy in this instance but as, as you say they've uh, got bigger issues with the whole process at large. And Musa G particularly pointed out that it's the wording in the Code of Conduct that needs to be looked at as well. But the uh, the other thing we run into here is that there are two very different processes that we've just gone through. So the charge laid in the match and there's a hearing in the match with the match referee, so Jeff Crow in this instance, and it's very much a cricket environment. Like it's a it's a cricket hearing, it's a, you know... You, you kind of get a feel for what it's like to be out there because there's a lot of emotion. People get passionate and, and things happen and this is one of those instances. Whereas you get to the judicial commissioner, who um, Mr. Heron is not a cricket man, so to speak. He's very much from the legal profession and 
that's his background. So they see things very differently to what someone like Jeff Crow will see it. So it's very black and white. It's very much uh, this happened, this happened, this happened, getting the, everything in a row. So they see it entirely differently based on the same event. That's right. And you know, this is the first time that South Africa have successfully appealed a decision. They, were, they were had a 0% strike rate before this. That's right. And I think in some ways they are probably surprised by the result as happy as they are to have the world's best bowler playing in these final two test matches. Does that mean, looking back now, that we need to, or the ICC need to look at a way of restructuring the code of conduct if they can get a decision like this overturned, albeit it's the, the first one that's happened to South Africa, but if there is that grey area, and the Proteas are pretty adamant that they don't like how it works, do they need to go back and have a look how this operates from now on? I don't think it hurts to reassess these kind of things all the time because you know things pop up that there's no precedent for. We now have a new precedent for things like this, so I don't think it hurts. The Proteas mentioned that they've spoken to the ICC about it before and will continue to do so, and you know I think they describe it as a healthy debate that this will now create this incident. There's obviously a massive talking point. Now do we get to a point where the ICC can, you know, look at how that code of conduct actually sits in the in the wider game of cricket and maybe fix a couple of things, maybe just tighten up a few things, wording, whatever it might be, processes. Um, but I don't think that hurts. What's this going to do for the game moving forward, Calm? Will we start to see players, I'm not going to say intentionally, rubber shoulders, no one's ever going to do that. But if they do come in contact... Now can they go, well, even if we get charged with this and we can test it and fail, we're going to appeal it, knowing that we can possibly get the charge changed, a further penal- a penalty reduced, and then potentially avoid being suspended? I don't think we'll be seeing shirt fronts on the cricket pitch. You don't reckon? No, no. Um, unless Andrew Simons makes a comeback and we get a bit of a streaker situation again. What would have happened there? Uh, Probably nothing. No demerit points for the big fellow, we no. thought. Uh, I I would like to think, and you would expect that this is probably enough of a deterrent as is. I mean, he, he still got penalised. He still got one point and uh, a quarter of his match fee uh, taken out of his pocket. So you would like to think that that's enough of a ter- deterrent for players. If they get a wicket, steer clear of the batsman. Get as pumped up as you like, but you don't need to get in the batsman space. I, I don't think it'll lead to more incidents like this. What it might lead to is more appeals. If players do find themselves in trouble, if they you know feel like they can get off, um, because now there's a successful one. So as you said, the Proteas they haven't had any success before, but now they do. Right. What's this going to mean for Abada, Callum? How many times have we heard that he needs to be smarter, that he needs to know not to celebrate in the face of a batsman? He even said about it uh, after the second test, he's going to keep celebrating the way he does, but just away from the batsman. Otis Gibson said today that they've had a talk to him about him, about where he should celebrate and how he should just give Patsman their, their own little bubble to operate in when they've been dismissed. You know, And it's fair. I mean, when a batsman is out, the bowler wins the battle, don't they? So you don't need to rub it in anymore, do you? What's going to happen with Rabada? And, you know, it's funny because uh, two days after he got done for brushing shoulders with Smith, he's given Warner an almighty send-off and he's been charged for that and hit for the sanction and 15% of his match fan at a parent point. Is this the end of it for Rabada? Is this finally that last lesson that he needs to learn? I think that's the concern here. Everyone loves watching him play. An amazing bowler, plays with so much passion and I think for the most part, all cricket fans love seeing that and they love seeing him out there doing his thing. The issue here is that he still has seven demerit points now. 
So he's one away from hitting that threshold again. Four of those are basically on his record for the next two years. That's going to hang over his head again. And they keep talking about, as you said, that he's he's going to learn his lesson. You know, this was what he needed, but he hasn't learned his lesson at all because two days after the main incident, he was doing it again. Mm. I'm not sure how they can say that he's learned his lesson because it just seems like it's so instinctive for him to get fired up because he loves the battle, he loves the contest, he loves getting the world's best batsman out and loves celebrating accordingly. I, I'm, I'm not sure what it does to him. I hope he can just find a way to channel that energy after a wicket and go down the Dale Stain route and just explode somewhere else. But I think he should do what you said, the, the Imran Tahir route, and just run, just to, run off. Run to square leg or, you know, deep fine leg. They might need someone in the crowd that he can uh, run to each game. There's certainly enough space at these uh, South African stadiums to put someone in there. Um, so maybe he can just run off to them. Well, what do you reckon the reaction by the Australian cricketers are going to be towards Rabada on the field? Now, we, you know, Steve Smith did say before the series that they might look at trying to get Rabada fired up given his suspension record. Now he's only one point away from being suspended for two test matches. He's definitely going to play in Cape Town. Are they going to go at him? Are they going to remind him that he's only one point away? Are they going to say, what are you doing out here? You shouldn't be out here. What, what's the reaction? Nathan Lyons spoke. He said it's exciting to play against the world's best players and Rabada is the world's best bowler. But I kind of think that I think Rabada will get reminded a little bit about the whole incident, the whole saga by the Australians out in the middle. They would be braver men than I to do that, given he bowls 150 kilometres with a swinging ball coming off an 11-wicket haul and is every chance to just rip through them again. So I would... My advice, which they should absolutely not take, but my advice would be to not poke the bear because uh, it's a very dangerous game to play with a big fast bowler. Don't poke the bear. Yeah. You've been sledged before. Did it fire you up? Um, no, nah, just... <laughs> it just rattled you. It ruined me. <laughs> All right, let's talk about some cricket, Callum. And the third test match is just a couple of days away, depending on when you listen to this podcast. But starting on Thursday, the 22nd of March, here at Newlands, Australian selection first. It's been a bit of an injury cloud over the Australians uh, since having that 10-day break after the Port Elizabeth test match. We knew that Mitchell Marsh had a groin strain, but Mitchell Stark also has had a bit of a sore calf. Both of them trained the house down on Tuesday and have been declared fit for selection. We don't know who's going to be in the 11, but it's going to be hard to see them making a change, Callum, unless the pitch, which we'll get to a little bit later, is drastically different from the ones we've already seen this series. It is hard to see them making the change given they've backed this 11 in uh, for a few test matches now. But test cricket's a funny game. You never know what will happen. What we do know is that Mitchell Stark is looking the goods at Mm. the moment. The bit of a calf issue that popped up that we didn't really know about until training yesterday. But he got through fine today. He's bowling rapid out in the middle to the Australian top order out there at Newlands. Mitchell Marsh looks pretty good, and you'll think they just need to wake up feeling fine in the morning and they'll be declared fit to play if they haven't been already. But, yeah, apart from that, I mean, you can't see too many changes to that top seven based on form, and surely you're back in this same bowling attack, don't you, Sam? Would have thought so. It's uh, a bit boring, isn't it? A bit of a mm. shake-up. yeah. Bunsen burner of a pitch, get John Holland in there or something. How's but Trevor Holmes' tour going, do you reckon? He's going all right. He would have been fretting a little bit with the Warner stuff. Yeah, that's if true. If Warner had it dropped out, then yeah. it would have made some change. But at the moment... He's having a great time. He's having a great time. <laughs> South Africa, with Ramada being clear to play, 
you'd have to think they're probably going to go and change as well. They have got 17 members in their squad. They flew in all around to Chris Morris and fast bowler Dwayne Olivier uh, when Rabada was still technically suspended. Otis Gibson has said they're going to start chopping off players uh, as early as match eve, so that squad's going to slowly reduce. But the way it's going, their last start winners, I just can't see them changing. The only change I can see, potentially, Callum, and I know it's one that you're excited about, is that Timber Bavuma might come back in. He looks like he's fully recovered from an injury, and he might come in, and I guess that would mean Tannis De Bruin would miss out. They've got to get him in, don't they? <laughs> just for his fielding. Oh, Faf keeps teasing us every match eve. He says, Timber, you know, he's he's a chance. He's a chance. His hand's coming along all right. He keeps teasing us. He doesn't quite make that final 11, though. Big Timber. He was batting out there today. We he's, saw him batting. He was looking good, taking on the quicks. Um, you'd think he's a chance. It's. I think it's all going to depend on what this pitch looks like. If it's an absolute green top that you know we saw in that Indian series, perhaps that bowling cover isn't needed. They can back in there for three quicks and, and Maharaj as well and they probably I mean even saying that De Bruyne has barely bowled this tour so yeah. um, they might back in Bavuma as that preferred option but um, we just we just have to wait and see and hopefully Faf doesn't tease us once again on match eve tomorrow get him in there get Timber back in there how about that run out have, oh. we, have we talked about that we sh- deserves a special edition podcast. go to cricket.com.au and search it find it Yeah, it's everywhere uh, the pitch, I guess that's the big talking point now. That might determine the 11s of both sides. Yesterday, it was green and muddy and looked awful. Today, a brand new pitch. It was white in colour. looked like there was a bit of grass to have been trimmed off. Nathan Lyon, they had a bit of a shave. Nathan Lyon said that the curator told him that they're going to try and take the pace out of it. Okay. Otis Gibson reckons it's going to be like the India test, oh. which was really spicy and was very much in the favour of the fast bowlers, which means we don't know. No. No one's got any idea. No. Do you think the curator knows? Is he just throwing things out there? I don't know. He's got a tough job. He's got a tough job because they've already played a test match on this ground this summer. Cape Town's in a drought, and even though they're using ball water, it's not the same as using, well, it's not the same as having natural rain and things like that. Reverse swing, will it come into play again? Nathan Lyon seems to think so. The wicket square is enormous here at Cape Town, but it's quite lush. He reckons actually Mitchell Stark's a big reason why they get the ball to reverse swing because of his angle. He sort of UFOs the ball down onto the pitch and when it hits the rough and, and, and the abrasive surface of the pitch, that actually can uh, scruff up one side of the ball. That's going to be a big part of it. i I got to think, and the curator said that the Proteus have had no influence on the way he's prepared this pitch. And you know, you've got to believe him. But why would they change the pitches that have been so successful for them so far in this series? If they replicate the one at Port Elizabeth, I think they'd be pretty happy. Yes and no. What's their biggest weapon? It's Rabada. Well, it's KG Rabada, right. yeah. And he's perhaps the best reverse swing bowler in the world. Wouldn't you want to do that? Yeah, but I think there's a bit more science and... A bit more nuance to that? A bit more nuance to that. Uh, you know, you got to factor in the air conditions. They, uh, both coastal cities? Yes, the, the great Neil Manthorpe believes the tide comes into play. Oh, yeah. Things like reverse. Swing. I haven't checked the no. Bureau of Mineralogy. A bit of the South African equivalent. So I think, yeah, there's a bit more at play there than just uh, what's served up out in the middle and those uh, 20 odd metres. Yep, 22 yards, whatever yep. you want to go with. <laughs> um, so I think we just have to wait and see what gets served up. And I mean, KG Rabada is going to be a massive third on whatever they throw up. And the Australians will be hoping that their quicks are 
equally as potent. And we know Vernon Philander loves playing at this ground, so... He certainly does. He's got good memories of this ground. He made his debut here in 2011, took 5 for 15 in that match that Australian fans have erased from their memories after taking a 200-run lead in the first innings and then bowling out for 47. I think Nathan Lyons already spoke about how uh, he's ticked that one off the off the bucket list. Top scoring in Australian test match innings. Don't think Australia will be planning for that again. Probably didn't want to walk out at 9 for 21. No. Yeah, Philander's going to be a big threat for them. The other big threat for the Australians is going to be A.B. De Villiers. And it feels like we're going to bring this guy's name up every podcast, but he's just so damn good. The Australians, they would have spent the last 10 days relaxing, but also trying to figure out a way to get him out. Callum, do you reckon they've come up with anything? Um, I'm sure they've come up with something. Whether they can execute it and whether or not it works is another thing. The thing about this series so far is that they've kept Faf so quiet. Yeah, 30 runs in four innings. And... You know, you've got to think that he's due at some point. So he's surely going to come into play these final two test matches. So they need to find a way to keep AB quiet. Because if they keep him quiet, um, I think it was, correct me if I'm wrong, Mitchell Stark spoke about how they, if they, they've worked out the others, if they can just get AB yep, quiet. That's correct. They will go a long way to winning these final two test matches. And that's what happened in the first test. Even though he got 78, he was not out. Um, they got They sort of bowled around him. And then they got him out for a golden duck in that second innings. And you can understand now why they were so jubilant when they got that got that wicket. Now this venue has served up some incredible test matches between these two nations. The past two times they've met here, we've just touched on 2011, but 2014, what a win that was by the Australians. Ryan Harris on one leg, bowling Australia victory. I was there, there was 10 overs ago. I thought it was going to be a draw. Five overs to go, placed three balls, Ryan Harris. Castles, uh, two blokes in Australia win the test match. An incredible an incredible victory, really. Are we going to see? Let's hope we can see a finish like that, even if it's even if it's a 47 game. I mean, they're the type of games you want to watch. Absolutely, because they live long in the memory. I mean, that 2014 test was just... That was just unreal. You had incredible innings. The thing about that test is Warner made two hundreds, one in each innings, and yet so few people talk about it. That's right. It's one of the probably more underrated performances, certainly of his career, and if not Australian. When you're stacked up against Michael Clark's gallant 160, I think he ended up with, and just getting peppered by Morton Walker from around the wicket, and then Ryan Harris's heroics at the end. You had all the sledging, the chirping, that's the right, the heated exchanges. You had a. Dale Stain versus Michael Clark. Yeah. Graham Smith's final test. Warner gets 200, and no one cares. No. Tough. I think Nathan Lyons suggested today that he'd like to see Warner get a double hundred. So no pressure yes. on no pressure on the pool. Right. Reckon he's got a good record in Cape Town, just like a cheeky double hundred. The goats put the pressure on the ball. It's uh yeah. But you know, and maybe because those wickets were good cricket wickets. So let's hope we see another one. That one uh, four, four years ago lasted the five days. I think any curator would be happy to see a match finish in the last hour of day five, that's what you're after. And then the one in 2011, all that finished in about 10 sessions, didn't it? Yeah. And the one uh, earlier in the year here, in January, finished in nine sessions. So we'll see what happens. They're two great bowling attacks. I'm not sure we've seen the best of them work as a unit. Maybe Australia in that first innings in Durban. Uh, and then South Africa pretty dominant off the back of Rabada in the second test. But if they all click together, there could be some low scores. It has been a bowler-dominated series so far with just the 200s. It has, but you... Don't feel like teams are crumbling for nothing. Like it, it feels like it's hard work out there for the batsmen, and 
the bowlers are running the game, and I think that's what you want, especially when you're coming off um, an Australian summer like we saw where it was just kind of fill your boots if you're a batsman. Cal, we've talked about this three times on the podcast now. Got them wrong pretty much every time. We're going to see any charges this time. Any, are we going to, everyone going to be nice? We've got a new match referee. Andy Prykoff, which I called South African last week. I apologise. He's Zimbabwean. He is. Um, I think uh, I think he'll have a word to both teams. He'll just say, guys, just a reminder, here's what we're about. Here's what we expect. And surely everyone is on their best behaviour now. Surely. Surely. Oh, there's going to be a lot of attention on when Rabada gets his first wicket. We saw um, after that Stokes incident last year where he claimed a wicket, I think, the following test or maybe the same test after the that incident. Yep. And he gave the big shush mm. sign. Not sure if we'll see something from him this time. I think... Um, maybe we'll see him run out to Cow Corner. That'd be great. We'll position the dock out there and get a photo. Yes. He's... Okay. <laughs> Hopefully there's a cafe doc, latte stand out there. Doc, doc, if you're listening, if you're well enough to hear this, please just stay in Cow Corner on the rope for the duration of the test match. Even when Rabada's batting, stay there. Yep. More international cricket column with the Australian women's cricket team. They are on fire in India. They've just wrapped up a clean sweep. 3-0 victory against India in the subcontinent, Alyssa Healy, player of the match in the final game with 133, her maiden one-day international century. What a performance by Healy and the Australians who've gone over there and absolutely blitzed the Indians on home soil. Yeah, they've flogged them. Um, a breakthrough innings for Alyssa Healy in many ways. I think everyone, well, everyone in Australian cricket has known what she's capable of and for one reason or another, she hasn't quite been able to do that at the international level. She finds herself certainly early in her career, down the order a lot, whereas for New South Wales, she bats higher up, uh, opening the batting. And this sort of rejigged batting lineup we've seen in these three ODIs, and uh, Nicole Bolton dominated those first two ODIs opening up, and then she misses out in that third ODI, and Alyssa Healy steps up and produces a magnificent 100, and there's just so much batting depth in that team right now. You have... Beth Mooney coming in the sort of almost lower to middle order, and she finds some runs, quick fire. She can blitz them uh, with the best of them. Ash Gardner at seven. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Carey, Jonathan, Wellington. Yeah. Wellington at 10. They seem like they've got a really good mix at the moment, and especially over there with their bowling, um, you know, players like Jess Jonathan and Wellington, they just seem to really come into the game a bit more than what they do perhaps at home. The tour is not over yet, Callum. There is a T20 tri-series involving Australia, India and England, all in Mumbai. First match is on Thursday, same day as day one of the third test in Cape Town. Uh, each team is going to play four games and there's a big grand final at the end for the top two teams. Now, this is a big series considering that later on this year in November, there's the Women's World T20 in the Caribbean. So there's spots up for grabs in that squad. The other factor here too is that Australia's T20 form has been largely quite poor for the past couple of years. Our very own Laura Jolly has done a story on cricket.com.au in the past couple of days. Australia haven't actually won a proper bilateral T20 series in, well, since 2015, August, August 2015. Um, So it's quite a long time now. They need to find some winning form, some momentum, try and get that mix right that they've now seemingly got right in ODI cricket, bring that into the 20-over game and 
carry that through to the Caribbean later this year. They were close in the women's ashes, but there was just a couple of inspired innings by the English that snatched that victory away from them in Canberra. A bit unlike the men's team who don't play a lot of international T20 cricket, the women's team play a lot of it, and they play a lot of T20 cricket domestically as well. So it's, that is surprising that they aren't better at the shortest form of the game. Yeah, I'm not too sure what it is. I think it's just a, a matter of of getting that mix right. They've got so many talented players, but it's trying to find the right role for the right player and where they kind of slot in. So, you know, you look at someone like Elise Perry, who's such a rock in the batting order, but, you know, where is she best placed? You know, for the Sixers, she dominates up the top of the order, um, but is she better served with the Australian lineup? Middle order or, or whatever it is. That, they're the decisions that the likes of Matthew Mott will be mulling over the next little while um, as they look to knock off India and England in this T20 tri-series. Finally, back home, Callum, it's JLT Sheffield Shield final time. Queensland and Tasmania are going head-to-head at AB Field in Brisbane. That game starts on Friday. Queensland finished the series... Queensland finished the season with six wins from 10 matches. Tasmania, one spot behind with five wins from 10 matches. Big summer of runs for Matty Renshaw after being dropped from the test side. He came back after B-Bell break with 300s. Joey Burns started off the season in tremendous fashion, but he had a hip injury curtailed his season, but he's back at 97 against the Blues in the last round, and Burns, he played a terrible shot to get out on 97. There's a man back at deep point, and he picked him out. And Manus Labashachni, I think I said that right. It's a bit like Chariso. It is. I don't know. Uh, he's found good form too with 200s in the second half of the season as well. So they've been in the runs for the Bulls. Uh, but for the Tigers, the bowlers, Jackson Bird, Sam Rainbird and Tommy Rogers, they've all got 35 wickets each this season. So it's going to be a good battle between bat and ball in Brisbane. Well, the interesting thing is that Jackson Bird was actually meant to be on this South African tour. Mm. But a little twist of fate and uh, an injury has kept him at home and could potentially, well, he probably holds the key really for Tasmania, certainly with the ball. The thing you hear from people in Tasmania is how much their batting has improved. We both know that both these teams have come from the bottom essentially in in recent years. But uh, we heard Tim Payne over here speaking about Jeff Vaughan's influence uh, as the batting coach down there. And you look at someone like Jake Doran, who's had a, a massive breakout season. Yep. So reliable now in that middle order, whereas you know there were always glimpses of what he could do, but he can never really string that together. You chuck in some experience with Alex Doolan and like of George Bailey and Matthew Wade. There's also Matthew Wade down there. That's right. So he's come in and um, someone like Tim Payne, who you know wasn't always getting a game, but he's now over here doing a thing with the Test side, and they've got an experienced keeper back home slotting into that side. Uh, and Cal, we've got two. Rookie coaches in Wade second for the Bulls and Adam Griffith for Tasmania. Bit of success for them as players. I wonder what, I wonder what kind of nerves a coach feels going for a, going into a final. I mean, they can get the guys prepared as best they can, but at the end of the day, they've got to sit in the grandstand and watch it. They can't be out there influencing the game with a battle ball in their hand. That's right. I've uh, I've got no idea what they'll be feeling. Um, I'm sure you don't either. I've, no. The under-15 north side that I coach... Finished dead last, barely won a game. So, did you get sacked after that? That was my first and only year. Ooh, that hurts, but um, I mean they've done a huge job with both those sides to be able to get them into a shield final, and you see the the other side of it too is the development of these players. So a lot of the 
players have really come a long way. Um, you look at Queensland, as you mentioned, Burns and Renshaw have kind of been there and done that at test level, but the likes of Hemphrey, uh, Labashakni, did you say? Labashakni. I'm going to go with his pronunciation and say Labashane. Is that how he says it? Well, he dumbs it down for oh, okay. us. Labashane. And then you've got a, a captain there at the moment in Jimmy Pearson, who's still only young and relatively inexperienced in a way, but also you know, has been given that responsibility and he's got him to a shield final. Let's not forget who the captain of Queensland is, Callum. The full-time captain is, of course, Usman Khwaja, who has been following along, he tells us, over here in South Africa. He'll be tuning in to the live stream, no doubt, in between the test. Well, that's what I was going to say. The live stream can be found exclusively on cricket.com.au. And Big Louis Cameron, another ace reporter for cricket.com.au, he's going to be up there covering the entire Shepherd Shield final, as is Laura Jolly. We mentioned earlier she's in India covering the women's tour. Callum, we need your pick. Who are you going to tip in the Sheffield Shield final? Is it going to be Queensland, Tasmania, or are you going to go the soft option and pick a draw? No, it won't be a draw. Okay. They'll get a result up there, and it will be a Sheffield Shield title for the Bulls. The My Foot Doctors. Wow. I'm going Tasmania. Really? Yeah, off the back of a remarkable 100 by George Bailey. He wants it. Bales, don't know how much longer he's got left in the game. He's in the twilight of his career. Could he go out with a t- Sheffield Shield final victory? I've absolutely no idea where his future plans. I tell you, he plays on forever. I'll tell you what, I wouldn't be opposed to George Bailey winning anything and everything. Okay. Give him all the titles. Well, there's been one there's been one more bombshell today, and look who's just strolled in. It's the Doc. He's looking better. He's got a bit more colour about him. Doc, do you want to say something? Shaking his head. You don't want to say anything. What are you here for then? All right. That's disappointing. Thanks for your time, Doc. Thanks, Doc. Thanks for nothing. Well, that's it, Callum, for this week's episode of the Unplayable Podcast. We're going to be back next week to wrap up the third test and preview the fourth test. But until then, stay logged on to cricket.com.au for all your news of the Qantas Tour of South Africa, the Limited Overs Tour in India, and the JLT Sheffield Shield Final. on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns